0: Village Church. You may have a seat. Uh, my name is Matt Soles. I'm the pastor of Youth and Young Adults. And um, Michael wanted the day off, so here I am, uh, <laughs> preaching. So, no, I'm very excited to be giving this message. I think I'm giving it so that uh, if anyone gets upset with what I say, it's what I say. It's not what Michael says. Um, but as pastor, you know, I have kind of some similar conversations that Michael had. If you were here last week, he introduced his message with um, whenever people find out he's a pastor he has some awkward conversations, and um, I personally, well, his story went that he, uh, he was in the sauna, one of his favorite places, and he has a conversation with a gentleman, and he finds out he's a pastor, and then it goes on and on, and, and personally, I think that, you know, he, he said that uh, people kind of act like they've never met a pastor before, and the whole time, I was thinking, like, I've just never met one in the sauna, <laughs> and... And then I was joking with Michael, I was like, okay, so Michael, you go and you meet people in the sauna. And then I'm picturing them like having conversations like, hey, let's do the sauna dance, you know, I'm just picturing them having a good, there he is. (laughs) See, I I just, so I've never met a pastor in the sauna, but I, so I have some other titles. I'm pastor, I'm husband, I'm father. I've I've had some other jobs. Um, I help out a lot of people with trees and things like that. So I have the title of arborist or lumberjack, I don't know if you want to call me, um, I've, I've been a personal trainer for a long time. And when people find out I'm a trainer, I have the same conversation over and over and over again. People always say, hey, what do I got to do to like lose weight? What do I got to do to gain weight? What do I got to do to be injury free? What do I have to do to this? What's, what's the... They always ask me the question, and what they're really asking is they're asking this question what's the secret? They want to know. What's the secret behind any of it? And I, I shy away. I'm like, I don't really want to tell you. You know, because kind of there is no secret, but in, in a way there is. And I'd, I'd never really been able to verbalize it um, until I read this one book. And oh, and by the way, when I started doing like long distance races, people started asking me what's the secret more and more and more, because not just like, hey, you're a trainer, you might know some stuff, but like, oh man, you've like, you've done some of these crazy things. Well, how do you keep going? What do you do? Like, what do you think about? What, what do you do? What do you eat? What do you drink? Da, 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 there's no secret. But I was reading this book and it's a book called Once a Runner. It's about this guy who was training to be an, an Olympic miler. And he goes off and he lives in a cabin and his coach is giving him these training plans as he's like living, breathing, running, training, like no, you know, electricity, no modern technology. I mean, he's just like out there living, just training for this one goal of being the world's fastest miler. And um, this, this quote that I'm about to show you here, it's his, the setting is his, his coach says, his name is uh, Quentin Cassidy. And his coach says, hey, uh, Quint, you're looking rugged, man. Like, you've got the beard, you've got the long hair, you've not seen people in months. Like, why don't you come with me to a barbecue? So this guy's like, oh, yeah, okay. You know, he's just wild-eyed, and he's going to this barbecue. And, and, and he, he writes this, and he says, like, all the conversations were the same. When, when people found out what he was doing, they were asking him, what's the secret? How do you do what you do? What's the secret? And this, this quote here is, it finally put it in words as to why I never wanted to tell people what the secret of losing weight is, what the secret of being fit is, what the secret of anything is. Here's this quote. What was the secret they wanted to know? In a thousand different ways, they wanted to know the secret. And not one of them was prepared, truly prepared, to believe that it had not so much to do with chemicals and zippy mental tricks as with that most unprofound and sometimes heart-rending process of removing, molecule by molecule, the very tough rubber that comprised the bottom of his training shoes. The trial of miles, the miles of trials. And the next line is, how could they be able to understand that? So when people ask me, what's the secret of whatever, I kind of want to say, you do it. (laughs) Sorry! You know, there's no other secret than that, and in our topic today, our, our doctrine we can't afford to get wrong is sanctification, and I'm going to circle back to a secret, we'll talk about a lot in between, but I want you to have that in your mind, that this guy who's totally committed, and he, he just tells him the secret, and it's like, oh, oh. okay. And I think that the secret of sanctification today is going to be kind of similar, but there's way more to it. So there's like 30 or 40 minutes of me talking before I give you the secret of sanctification because it's, it's, it's that packed. And, and what I want to do is I want to, tell you as it, as, I want to tell you where sanctification falls in line in our tiered system. Because as Michael reviewed last week, we're doing this series called Doctrines You Can't Afford to Get Wrong, and there's doctrines that are in a tier system. There's, uh, there's the third tier. So the third tier is doctrines of worship style, of preferences, of preaching style, things that churches shouldn't split over. We should, have, we should have differences of opinion here and things like that, and that's okay. Like, there's not necessarily a right and wrong. I mean, there's a wrong, like, I worship by... Sinning, or I worship by doing something that's contrary to scripture, but in preferences, yeah, whatever. And then there's seconds here things like Calvinism, ooh, bump that one up, Um, speaking in tongues, six day creation, things that are really, really, really important, but getting them wrong or being off on them does not hinder salvation. First tier is reserved for that, is doctrines that if you get this wrong, it's like you don't have the basis of faith. You don't have salvation. And last week was justification. Justification is a first tier doctrine. Justification says you are legally declared righteous, you are declared holy. At that moment of faith, God says, I am giving you all of Christ's righteousness. I am giving you my unconditional love. I am giving you my unconditional acceptance so that when you come to stand before me and I say, why should I let you in? You say, Jesus Christ. God says, "Mm, that's right. That's justification. Michael gave that balloon last week that when you pop that balloon, all these truths come true. And that's exactly right. We're adopted, we're children, we're heirs. We have every right as sons and daughters of God. That's justification, to be declared holy. Sanctification is to become holy. So sanctification is for already saved. It's already justified. Now it's, well, it's the process of becoming holy. So we would put that on tier two, meaning getting it wrong or having some off ideas on it doesn't necessarily mean you're not saved, but scripture is really clear. It's on second tier because we literally can't afford to get it wrong. All right? If if we get sanctification wrong, Peter says our prayers are hindered. If we get sanctification wrong, Paul says our ministry is fruitless. If we get sanctification wrong, John says our relationship with God will struggle, not our salvation, relationship with God. Our intimate fellowship and oneness with him, that will struggle. And James says, like Michael very good very well, very wellly goodly. Yes. yes. Explained last week, James says, we might not even be a Christian because there's justification before God, but then there's how we work our, our salvation that proves that it's real. All right? That's what sanctification is. It's it's so important that it proves that our salvation is real. And I don't know about you, but. There's times where I've been like, you know, that prayer I prayed, that moment I believe, that time I look back on to like, this is when I was saved. Man, is that real? Am I really justified? Am I the only one that's ever thought that? I don't think so. Sanctification is one of the best ways to prove Your justification is real. The number one best way is the Holy Spirit. At the moment we are saved, God gives us the Holy Spirit. And Romans 8 says the Holy Spirit cries out in our hearts. That we are united with Him, He testifies to our spirit that we are are one with Christ. So there's this like, there's this deep know that I know that I really know because the Spirit is actually telling me that I'm God's child. It's this deep knowledge. That's one. And the Spirit also gives us fruit and gifts of the Spirit. When you are saved, you receive gifts of the Spirit that we can use for God's work. So the number one proof of our salvation is: Do you have the Holy Spirit? And the Holy Spirit will manifest itself in what the Bible calls fruit. And that's where sanctification comes in. It's this proof that, yes, I'm justified, so I'm declared right in God's eyes, and now I can start becoming sanctified. I can start becoming more holy, and that's the work of the Spirit in me, and that's, that's where we're landing today. And today is all about sanctification and why we can't afford to get it wrong, and really, What it is and kind of how we do it, Um, and I really want to give you the secret of it. Uh, And to do that, we're 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 going to go to Hebrews 12. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews 12, or your iPad, or Peter's got a MacBook. It's cool. Hope you're not budgeting. All right. And Hebrews 12 starts with therefore. So before we get to Hebrews 12, we have to talk about well. Why is Hebrews 12 there? It's the application of the first 11 chapters. And Hebrews is it's one of my favorite books of the Bible. I wish we could do a two year long series on Hebrews, but two year long series, they're not practical all the time. So, Hebrews 1 through 11. It's written to people who were Hebrews, it's, it's, it's written to Jews, it's written to people who thought they could earn their salvation through a sacrificial system and through priests. They thought the old way, the law, adhering to the law, doing the sacrifices, letting the high priest enter the Holy of Holies and doing that every year sacrifice, like that's going to make me okay with God when I stand before him. And the author of Hebrews says, no, it was never meant to be like that. That was always a temporary fix until Jesus came. And it says, Jesus is not only the perfect priest, the priest who never sinned. He is the priest who became the sacrifice as well. See, the old system had year after year sacrifices. If you sinned unintentionally, you had to go sacrifice. And, every, and then every year, the high priest, once a year, would go into this compartment of the tabernacle, the, the Jewish like, main worship area, and there was this place called the Holy, the Holy of Holies, and the high priest could only go in there once a year and make a sacrifice. And Hebrews says, first for the sins of himself, and then for the sins of the people. And the author of Hebrews says, no. Jesus, because he was perfect, never had to sacrifice for himself. Jesus, because he was perfect, he could become the perfect sacrifice as well. And then Hebrews talks about Jesus' blood, which, unlike the blood of bulls and goats, can take away sin permanently, because the blood of bulls and goats in this old sacrificial system could only kind of cleanse the flesh, Hebrew says. But Jesus' blood cleanses the heart so that we can obey from the heart, we can truly obey, not just have what I'm gonna call today behavior change. So let's look at Hebrews 12, and our first point here is make it hurt. Hebrews Hebrews 12 says, therefore, which we know why that's there. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured from sinners hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin." You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And so let's, let's start there. With, go back, please. Thank you. Let's start there in that so great a cloud of witnesses. Hebrews talks about this Jesus is the way to salvation. If, if I were to put words into Hebrews, into the author of Hebrews' mouth, which I can't say who it is because we don't know, but I think it's Paul. Um, and I think Hebrews was a sermon that was written down. But that's personal opinion. That's not the stance of village church. Just Hebrews reads like a powerful sermon and we get to Hebrews 12 and it's like, yeah, here you go. This is what you do. So I love it. So after explaining Jesus is this perfect priest and this perfect sacrifice, the author brings the readers back to, the, to what we call the, the, the hall of faith. And it, and it lists men and women who, though sinful, and you might read that hall of faith and go, my goodness, they made it in there? And that was their former job or what they did? Okay. But it, it magnifies their faith as look at these men and women. They had faith in God. They suffered so much. They did so much. They did so many amazing things. They had such faith. And it was before they even had what was promised, before Jesus came. And they, 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 they give this list, and, and it, it just builds and builds and builds. And then at the end of Hebrews 11, it says men of whom the world was not worthy. And I want to pause on that statement just for a second to, to, to just repeat it. Men of whom the world was not worthy. And as a believer in Christ, that should rile us up a little bit. That should make me kind of, you know, stand proud. Like, you know, I wanna be like that. You know, I don't know about you. Every time I hear the song, you know, proud to be an American. And I, I, I think of my grandpa, a World War II vet, getting teary-eyed every single time. I'm like, well, yes, I am. I just, I want to be like that so much. And so this, this author says he's, he's building him, he's building him, and he wants their attention, and he wants their heart's desire to be something greater than themselves. So he says, okay, since we're surrounded by all that cloud, and that's not a Winnie the Pooh little black rain cloud, that's a... Huge filling the sky cloud of witnesses. He says, So, since we're surrounded by that, listen, I've given you everything you need to want to be sanctified. Hebrews 12 is this is how you do it. So, now we can go to that next slide. He says, First, lay aside every weight. So, lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. I have to be really careful when I read this because I, my Bible, the, the duct tape wonder here, is uh, written in New American Standard. So if I quote this incorrectly today, I'm sorry, I, I have a different version grilled into my head. Mine says, and the sin which so easily entangles us, and I'll explain that. But he says, let us lay aside every weight and sin. So first, wait. Notice To be sanctified, to become more holy, you don't actually have to. Well, you do, but part of it, every weight isn't necessarily sin. It's something that's just slowing you down. And he says, and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance. So this whole picture is of an an athletic contest. This whole picture is... Listen, if you want to run, be fast, if you want to endure to the end, you don't want anything that's going to make it tougher. And so this word, weight, let us lay aside every weight, it's like a, it's like a fleshly mass. Um, and I'm going to tell you a story here, a little bit, of a, a race that did not go very well. Um, but, it's, but it's something that, like I said, will, will just stop you from being super efficient. And if you want to run that race hard enough, fast enough, you're gonna do the sacrifice to lay that aside. It just bulks you down. And sin which clings so closely. The cling so closely, or as the New American Standard says, it says, so easily entangles us, it's a picture of these vines, okay? And um, the the picture that I get in my head, you have to excuse me, I'm a youth pastor, so I get weird pictures in my head and I explain things like this, but uh, you know who Batman is? I'm Batman, I like Batman. You know who my least favorite villain is? Poison Ivy. Because I hate Poison Ivy. I used to get blisters all over. I would get in it and like I'd be just bedridden with oatmeal covered all over me. I just hate it. Um, So what I picture here is like Batman's ready to fight Poison Ivy, right? She's this girl that can control vines and stuff. He's like, yeah, I'm ready to take you on. And then he wants to go and like these vines, he doesn't even know it. They're coming up and they're like grabbing his ankle and grabbing his calf and then he's about to like make his move and he goes <gasps> You know, and there's this scene and enter song and what, I don't know how he gets out of it, but that's, that's, that's the picture there. The sin which just entangles so easily and clings so closely that you don't even know it. And okay, how's Batman gonna get out? Have you ever uh, pulled vines out of a tree? I told you in the beginning, I do some tree work. Let me tell you, I hate vines. You do not understand the strength a little vine like that has. You cut a limb off and pull it and... Yeah, all right. Nope. The way to get a vine off is you have to violently rip it off. I mean, I I call it get your angry face on and do it like that face that says all the strength is going to come from my gut and just roll through my and you yank it off. And, and that, that's what the author wants us to think. He says, listen, if you want to run fast, if you want to endure to the end, you get everything off that will, that will slow you down. You also have to break free of the things that are really holding you down, that's the sin. And so, my question is like, what is slowing us down? And I thought of that, okay, what's slowing me down? And I thought, you know, the one thing in my life that I love the most, well, my, anyways, my life, I love my wife. I would love our marriage to be awesome. But you know what I kind of like? Blue Bloods on Netflix. (laughs) I'm just telling you where the Holy Spirit led me. How much, what am I sacrificing because I want to be entertained a little bit? Now hear me, I'm not saying entertainment is wrong. I'm just saying, if there's something we really want, if if we say, if if I look at my life and and what could be better, what could make me run more, what could give me exactly what I want, what would I be willing to give up? And that hurts. And I know my heart, and I think you you might remember last week we gave a testimony of how um, we were in the, the Dominican Republic for a week, and... We got to build this, the roof of the church, and we got to see how people lived, and it was, oh, it was heart-wrenching. And, and I saw what $4,000 could do for this church and this community. And you know what I thought about when I got home? Yeah, it's nice weather, I'd like to be on a bike right about now. I'd like that Harley. Like, how can my heart do that? <laughs> how can my, it's just, I'm not saying any of that is wrong, I'm just saying, as the Holy Spirit convicts you, be mindful of that and the sin which clings so closely. You have to rip it apart so that we can run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, looking to Jesus. Before I get to this, I've got a little story to tell you. So I do like races, but there is one race I almost vowed I would never talk about. Yeah, Jonathan, you know this one. Oh, I disclosed it to Jonathan once. Um, it's Cozumel Ironman. So an Ironman is two and a half miles of swimming, 112 biking, and then 26 at the end, you do a marathon at the end of all of that. And I had, I had done one and like, kind of, it wasn't that challenging. I mean, it was hard, it was long, but I wouldn't say it was the hardest thing I ever did, you know, but it was just a long day. So we get to Ironman Cozumel and I'm, I've been training and I'm thinking like, I am going to kill this thing. I'm gonna qualify for Hawaii. All right, I've got a new bike. The name of the bike is Creed, just to get the setting in the story. I name all my bikes after Rocky characters. Okay, I got a new bike. I got my, I, I, I would have put a picture up here, but um, in Iron Man and in races, you wear things that you would never wear out in public. So there's spandex, there's, I had one of those helmets that's like teardrop and aerodynamic, I mean, just, just think about lay aside every weight. I mean, cyclists, we are, we are misers for ounces. What I mean by that is, if I thought my water bottle was too thick, I would go to the bike shop and be like, hey, oh, this is 11 ounces, this is nine and a half, that equals 30 seconds, okay. I'm a miser for an ounce, I'm a miser for aerodynamics, so I got the most ridiculous looking helmet on in the world. Um, So anyways, Ironman, Cosimo, um, get there, it's gonna be awesome, but before I got there, I got a little cold little sniffly, and uh, my wife and her dear mother, Connie, (laughs) thought they would do me a good favor. They said, oh, you're sick. We don't want you to be sick when you're racing. Take some decongestants. So that's a good idea. I should have been looking out for myself, but I wasn't. So they said, take some decongestants. Oh, yes, yes, I will do so. I'm a a good husband and son-in-law. so I take these decongestants and I'm like feeling okay. You know, I'm a little tight, whatever. Uh, race, race morning comes in, get in the water. You know, most beautiful swim I've, I've ever done. I'm like, I'm looking at stingrays. I'm like, whoa, and they're way far away, but you could see clearly. The other one I did was in Lake Erie and I couldn't see my own hands, you know. It's like, whoa. <laughs> uh, so anywho, well, I, I'm, I'm getting out of the water and I'm like, you, get that, you ever get a tight hamstring where like, balls up and you go and that's out of the water and that's never happened to me before i go oh this is bad so i get on my bike and i'm feeling good you know after walking around a little bit i'm like all right so i get changed into my bike garb and my ridiculous helmet um, and i'm rolling and the biking is my favorite i love speed which is why i can't get my harley Um, i love speed and so i'm running on the bike and I, can I share something? I've been sharing a lot. Uh, Danny Granzo is going through my head. Okay, Danny Granzo was this student I had, and uh, he wrote songs, and he published these songs on the internet. And uh, when I'm when I'm clipping on a bike, for some reason, Danny Granzo's songs come to my head, and the song that goes through my head is "Go China, Go 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 China, China Go China, Go 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 China, China." I am stupid, I know, but it's stuck in my head. So when I get down into my aero position, which a triathlon bike, I'm a miser for ounces. I'm a miser for anything that's gonna slow me down. So your aero position, you got these arrow bars and you're tucked in like this and you're cycling. And I'm like, mm, go, China, go, go, get China, China, go, China, go, go, get China, China, go. And for about 20 miles, I was like passing people. I'm like, okay, all those guys that are swimmers, you know, I'm gonna pass them now because this is my sport. Well, wouldn't you know it? Start cramping up. So I'm putting water bottles everywhere I can, and I'm I'm trying to hydrate. I'm trying to hydrate. And if you know long distance racing, you can never hydrate during. You're already done. And I know this in my head. I'm like, no, I gotta fix it. So I'm trying. I'm trying. And it's getting so bad, and I'm so out of it that I would be biking, and then I would try to reach around for my water bottle and my arm would have that cramp, and I'd be like, no! Oh, okay, I'll go around this side, and then my bicep would cramp. So I was like stuck right here, cycling, and then I'd stop. I just couldn't, it was horrible. About mile 80, I was actually praying for a flat tire. Because I can't quit. Health would have said, dude, be done, you're an idiot. But, can't quit. Just praying for a flat tire, praying for a flat tire. And someone, we crashed a little bit and uh, boom, <gasps> flat tire. It actually broke my rim. I have these deep rims. It ripped the rims like, oh, shoot, I have a spare. <laughs> so put the spare on, fixed the bike. Got into transition two, which is from bike to run. Someone took my bike, I get off. I sit down to change shoes, and I've never had this happen, my stomach muscles did the seizing. And I'm going Ooh. I said, "Stand up, I said, I'm good. And these medical guys are coming over, um, and it's in Mexico, I say, hey sir, can you complete? I say, I'm all right, I, let me, I've had worse, lie. Um, and I just, okay. So I have it on, I get my hat on, I'm starting to run the marathon, and, I mean, I'm run walking at this point, and I mean, I just know I'm, I'm going to finish-ish, but it's a brutal day. And I want to tell you why I didn't quit. Two reasons. Number one reason, she's sitting right there, her name's Lauren Souls. At this point, we have three kids, or two. How, how many? I don't even know. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> the best advice someone ever gave me before long-distance racing was know your why. And my why was this. Lauren delivered Madison in like 18 hours. This race is going to take me 10. And she didn't have a choice to quit. She couldn't tell Madison like, mm-mm-mm, you know? <laughs> no matter the pain, no matter what it cost her, she did not have a choice to quit. So I put in my mind, I do not have a choice to quit. So when I finished, I'd have to look her in the eye, and you kept going, I kept going. And then there's that line right there, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And then then it would say, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Uh, Jesus didn't quit. This is just a stupid race, but I mean, still, he's my example. And this writer of Hebrews, he he brings this tension in that I want to be really careful I get right because I do not want you to hear this message and say, Matt thinks I need to just pull myself up my own bootstraps and be more holy. I don't believe that. I believe Jesus not only gave you your faith, he's, he just, his righteous justified you, he's the perfecter of it. He gives you the power to do it. So both are true. To, to think that Jesus is the founder and perfecter of my faith and just say, no, 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 no. I, I, I don't need to work. I, I, I don't need to strive. I, I don't need to, to try. The Bible calls it agonizing. Agonisme is the Greek. I'm bad at Greek. Um, I don't need to do that is, is missing the point. And to think that all I need to do is strive and try. That's missing the point. The point is that Jesus is interwoven in it an all and both are true at the same time. Liken it this way. I'm super thirsty. If I if I think Jesus is the end-all, be-all way to do well, I shouldn't. Okay. If I think I only need faith, Jesus just makes it happen. It's like me being thirsty and having a water bottle, which there is one right here. That's nice though. Right there. Thank God, give me some water. Just fill me with water. I think God's like, yeah, I did. It's right there. No, but. You said that there's, there's, no, there's no effort I need to do, that you did it all. I like, yeah, I made the water, and it's right there. You're like, but no, God, put it in, put it in. It's right there. So there's this tension that it takes effort. Don't send it on the Bible. But the effort is powered by Jesus. And I want to give you this, this uh, little way of thinking about it. The power for my sanctification is not in me. It is in Jesus. Amen? Because we've proven we failed over and over and over and over and over again, so we needed Jesus' righteousness. However, the reality of my sanctification is obedience. It's on me. And I want to be really careful with using the term obedience versus behavior modification. If I say it's all on me, it's just behavior modification, I can just change. Okay. There's certain things we can like just change sometimes, but when it's powered by Jesus, he calls it obedience, not just behavior change. And so there's this, this way that the author's doing this here. And it's like, it doesn't, me saying this, I don't want to be clear. It's, it's not going against justification, okay? I am never more righteous before God's eyes than I am through Jesus, that's it. But let's look at what it says next in in Hebrews, and don't worry, I'm gonna fly through these next points. Next, in in Hebrews, it kind of has this underlying tone that, yeah, God is completely, you are justified, he's completely satisfied with your righteousness, but he's not okay if you stay the same. If, he was, if God was okay with you, as you are, we wouldn't read this. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. And we read that, and in our American understanding of discipline, or for what we learned at our parents, that discipline equals punishment, not true. God the Father wants discipline, not punishment. Punishment addresses the action. You do wrong, whack. Don't do wrong again. You know, you make me unhappy, bam, don't do it. I don't like that. I don't like the action. Discipline, as God does it, addresses the heart. And so, I mean, I'll just be honest. I was a teacher. Like, I saw the way... We, we have this degradation of, the view, of our view of authority. Do you agree with that? Yeah. yeah, the way we look at cops too, man. The way kids would respond to me as a teacher, I would say something, no, why? Uh-huh. Well, let's start with one, because I said so. And then two, if I feel like it, I'll tell you why. But there's just this, well, I don't have to listen to you. Who are you? Your teacher, the authority God gave you. We just have this view of authority that's, really messed up, but it's probably because we look at punishment, not discipline. And as a loving father, and think about any dad that you think is worth his weight in salt. A dad's dream for his child is that they grow up, are godly, they have a fruitful life and ministry and work, and they're, uh, they're abundant in their fulfilling, their calling of ch- children and of, of God, right? That's what I want. That takes more than punishment. It takes a training program. It takes discipline. It takes me, like with the tree thing, I take Colton on a lot of tree jobs. Is he a lot of help? No, but I give him this little saw and he cuts off little branches and he drags it to the trailer. I'm like, yes, it's part of your training program, boy. I want you to be a hard worker. So I'll give you opportunities to be hard workers. I want you to be okay with not having something. So when you ask me, I'll say no. That's what this passage here is talking about, the discipline of the father. It's not talking about punishment. It's not talking about, and I got this wrong for so long, I thought that when God prompted my heart to give something or to be generous, and I said, yeah, no. And then I got like a car issue, I'd be like, oh God, I should have said yes. That's totally wrong. All right, things break because it's a sinful world. But God has this this holistic training program aimed at our virtue. So on one hand, justification says you're 100% okay. On the other hand, sanctification says, but you need to be more holy. And how do you do it? Well, you lay aside, you set aside. It's all done through the power of Jesus, and God has this training program for you. And then I want to end in this. It's like I... I don't do it all the time. Do you do it all the time? Look at what Hebrews 12 says next that the end of discipline. It says, discipline, though it seems painful rather than pleasant, later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And if I look at my life and I look at your life and I say, it would be so much better if I wasn't stupid and sinful. It'd be so much better if I wasn't angry and impatient and greedy. And if I, oh, if I was like Jesus, if God, your will was done on earth, as it in heaven, how much better would my life be? And I, I know why I don't take that step sometime. And it might be why you do too. This is our last point here. I call it make it real. I know I'm skipping a lot in Hebrews. It's so hard for me to skip, but... It says, see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned on earth, much less will, will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. Okay. So you ever get away with something? You do an action, no one saw it, you got away with it, your kids probably do it. Well, I do it. I think I don't obey because it feels like I get away with stuff. I get angry and blow up. Yeah, my wife and I have a little conversation. No skin off my teeth. You know, I sin, I say something, I think something. No smack from heaven comes down. Hmm. And I think we've lost this idea of God's holiness. And it says here that if they did not escape when they refused him who warned on earth... In the context, him is Moses. When Moses gets the law from Mount Sinai, the mountain is quaking and smoking, and there's fire. And Moses said, Don't even come near it or touch it, lest you die. And these people, back in the days of Exodus, when, when it was written, they understood God's holiness. They understood, You do not mess with God, He's awesome. Has God changed? No. Look how Jesus is described in, in Revelation. His voice is like the sound of rushing waters. His, his eyes are like lightning, and there's swords coming out of his mouth. Like, how does that happen? And it's like, he's just like, whoa. And I, I think I miss the holiness of God, and I don't take sin seriously because I don't take God seriously. Because there's a delay in consequence. And I am not saying there are verses that just in, in Scripture, you know, I, I'm not saying that our actions um, threaten our salvation. But Scriptures and Hebrews does say there is a day when we will give account. There is a day when those things will be brought to light. And I have no idea what that looks like. I think Scripture is intentionally vague because it just wants to see are you obeying from the heart? God just wants to know, do you love me? God just wants to know, will you obey? And I, there's this sense that I, I don't know what that day is like, but man, I got to think that when I get to God on that day, and all these things are revealed, and, and I'm, I'm shown, and I'm saved, I'm 100% secure, but I just give account for how I don't obey and basically said, no, God, I would rather have the weight, I would rather have the sin, I would rather not listen to your trading program because what I want is more important. And my way, my way. I would want to trade anything I could to go back and tell myself, "Dude, you short-sighted idiot! Didn't you know God was holy? Didn't you know God just doesn't just wink at sin? It's okay, Matt. I understand. I like you. No." That's not the way it is. And so there's this, this tension that, um, man, it's, it's not about fear because perfect fear casts out love. That's what John says. He says we don't fear God. But there's this tension that, as Paul says, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who, has, who is at work in you. And so if we circle it around, what's sanctification? Well, it's becoming more holy. Well, how do we do it? Well, we obey God through his power. And I just have three quick so what's for you. So what, number one, how many times during the message did the Holy Spirit convict you? Did you go, ooh? That's just a question. Number two question follows that. How do I change? Well, humans change in a multitude of ways. Number one, God just changes us. I like when that happens. That happened when I was saved at 18 on a couple of my sin issues. I was saved and it's like God just took, like, oh, wow, that's different. But there are some things where we need to bring to the light. I, I didn't know that the Bible said, do not do this or do this. And so when I read it, I go, ooh, I got to not do that anymore. And so number one way we change is God does it. Number two is we take in information and truth and we obey it. Number three is sometimes we need to bring stuff into the light. We need a brother or sister. We need counseling. We need, it's it's that sin that you have to like yank. It's that sin that just won't let go unless you do some massive work on it. So you have to bring it to light. You have to tell it to somebody. You have to get that counseling for it. And then number four is you just live life because God is in the business of crafting situations in our life to make us more like him. You jump in and you volunteer. You want to love more? Volunteer so you have to love. You want to be more patient? Babysit my kids. Like, you... There's just... We can look at life as, all oh, this stuff is so annoying, or we can look at life as, hmm, if I was different, how would the situation be different? If I responded differently, if I my gentle answer, which I didn't give would that have turned away the wrath? And number three is, why don't you change? I think it goes back to our view on God. And if we take God seriously, we'll take sin seriously. So what's the secret? Well, the secret is Jesus Christ. And it's just as gut-wrenching and simplistic as that. It's just like that secret of being a runner. It's, hey, hey, You want to be a better runner? Run. You want to be a better follower of Jesus? Obey. Not by your own strength, mustering it up, but by the strength that God provides, that tension there that, yes, it's God's strength, but it's my decision, it's I have to actually do it. And and God's word says, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin. It's like God's word just said, why'd you become so soft? I'm, I'm, I'm telling myself this. When did you get soft on me So that's the secret. The secret of sanctification is obey. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, or there is so much to this that I can't cover and, and, and won't cover, but Lord, the fact remains that you, um, you saved us, you justified us. You look at us 100 percent of the time as I love you no matter what. And yet you also bring situations, and you bring your word into our lives, and you say, change. You say, obey. Because in the end, it makes you more like your son, Jesus Christ. In the end, it is worth it. In the end, it brings that peaceful fruit of righteousness. So, Lord, I pray that as a church, as a body, um, we would take seriously your commands. We would take seriously the promptings of, of your spirit. And then, Lord, we would see where you move, how you how you change us, how you grow us, how you allow us to overcome sin. And Lord, we look forward to giving you the praise. Since it's not our strength, it's yours, we give you the praise for all of it. And I pray this in Christ's name, amen.